This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. It's very nice to, to be here tonight, to see all of you here. I think I'll start in the traditional way with homage to the Buddha. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Buddhang damang sankhang namasami Thank you for joining in with that. It was beautiful. There are really two things that I want to share with you tonight that I hope you take away with you. And one of them is that there, there were quite a few enlightened, fully ordained nuns at the time of the Buddha. And... Um, a bit about their stories and the real... Um, key to your own happiness that we can find in those stories. And then the other thing is that the Buddha had tremendous compassion for women. He had compassion, of course, for all beings because he saw the suffering, but he particularly acknowledged ways in which women suffer Some of those that he mentioned were because of biology. Women get pregnant. Women have children. There's suffering in it. But he also acknowledged some of the particular suffering that women experienced at that time in that culture and still experience today in many places, um, which had to do with social constraints and um, traditional ways of doing things. The first thing in his list was that a girl, a, a woman, even if she's very young, has to go to live with her husband's family. And of course, that's um, something that happened oftentimes in India at a very young age. Um, eight years old even, ten years old, childhood marriage. And this is really a way that uh, girls were, you know, brought to another family to, to be a servant there. Oftentimes they weren't treated very well. So the Buddha saw this uh, cultural phenomenon and he actually gave us a rule that we still have as bhikkhunis um, around ordaining women. So in general, full ordination can only happen after a person's 20 years old. 
men and women. But there's this rule that says that if a girl is married, you can ordain her as a bhikkhuni, full ordination, as early as age 12. And there's another rule that says anyone who gets any woman ordaining as a bhikkhuni has to keep the first six precepts for two years. So that would mean that this girl would probably enter the monastery at age 10. This is a protection. And he also knew that if a girl has been given to another family and maybe it's a difficult situation, then if she becomes a bhikkhuni, she's going to be able to bear it. She probably won't complain about heat or cold or wind burning or creeping things. She'll be fine and she'll be safe. And I just, that and and the Buddha's, you know, list of the way he saw suffering for women um, and other things that he did and said, ways that he helped women, which we're going to see in the story that I'm going to tell tonight, and I might have time to tell a couple more. It's really inspiring to me It's inspiring to me that the Buddha gave women the same exact ordination he gave to men. There were bhikkhus, that's what the monks are called, and bhikkhunis. He didn't say, oh, well, the women can have this lower ordination, you know, eight precepts or ten precepts. He made them, gave them the same, same ordination. In fact, at the time when he started ordaining women, he told the monks, okay, teach them what I've taught you. Teach them the patimokha, the recitation of the rules. So the women got the same rules as the men. And teach them the dhamma. And he gave the monks that responsibility because they had already had training. And so it's incredible that the Buddha was so progressive uh, 2,500 plus years ago. And I think it really is because he very clearly saw the suffering of beings. And he saw the suffering of women among that. And even today, uh, it was mentioned that I'm a director for Buddhist Global Relief. And what we see with those projects is that women are more likely to, to suffer in situations where there's not enough food, They're more likely to give food to their children and not eat themselves if there's not enough. Um, When women are given resources, they're more likely to use them for the family. When they're given an education, they're more likely to come back to their home village and help. It doesn't mean men aren't good or doing great things, but it's just interesting to see kind of the roles of women and where we find them. Um, making a difference, and where we see them oppressed by their culture and society and situations. And Buddhist Global Relief makes an extra effort to support women in education because they're much less likely to be able to get that in places, many places in the world. So having said that, I want to turn our attention to 
the arahant bhikkhuni kisagotami, the Buddha acknowledged the attainments and capabilities of various enlightened nuns in the same way that he did for monks. So I have uh, some books for you, actually. They're on the table over there. The stories about the foremost elder nuns, and you're welcome to take, take one this evening. And this book is focused on those pronouncements that the Buddha made. This nun is foremost in psychic powers. This nun is foremost in meditation. This nun is foremost in intuition and so on. And it describes the, um, the story, a little bit about their stories, and also the text uh, that's, that's in the, um, the Pali Canon and the commentaries about the, the nuns. So I want to talk about Kisa Gotami. Um, part of her story might be familiar to you, but I would invite you to come to this with very much a beginner's mind and see what you can learn from her. Now, she was born in Savati, which is a city where the Buddha spent a lot of time. She was born into a very poor family, And she was not a pretty girl. In fact, her name, Kisa, means haggard, lean. And so being from a poor family and not particularly beautiful, at least on the outside, it was hard to to be, you know, chosen by a, a man for her to be his wife. So things weren't looking that good for her. But she had a very, very good heart. She was truly beautiful on the inside, you might say. And there was a son of a very wealthy merchant who noticed that and wanted to marry her, and he did. But his family did not accept her. They wanted something better for their son. And so it was an ongoing struggle and source of great pain for her that his family didn't accept her and were and really he her husband was constantly being put kind of in the middle between his parents who he loved and his wife who he loved. Until she gave birth to a son and suddenly everything was fine and she was accepted and she was very happy. She was happy to have her baby, and she was happy to be finally um, embraced and supported. So her son got to the age where he was walking and starting to run and And then one day he got sick, and in two days he was dead. And of course, before modern medicine, that was much more likely, and it could happen to anyone at any age. And she was so distraught. 
first because her baby had died and secondly because her happiness in the family was now probably gone for good and she thought they're going to blame me they're going to feel like it's my fault they're going to think that I don't have good enough karma, karma to have a son and she even feared that her husband would turn against her so she decided, convinced herself that the baby wasn't dead and she took his body and she went out into the streets of Savati and she started to ask for medicine from people and people told her this child's dead there's no medicine that can help and one account said that you know people even some of them were quite cruel and you know seeing that she's she's crazy but there was a man who said the the greatest physician is teaching at Jeta's Grove, told her where. He said, he will know what to do. He will be able to help you. And of course, he was talking about the Buddha. And Kesa Gotami went directly there. She went up to the Buddha, holding her dead baby in her arms, and she said, can you please give me some medicine for this baby? And he said, I can help you, but I need you to get something I need you to go and get some mustard seeds, which is, she was so relieved because mustard seeds are extremely common. Everybody's got mustard seeds in India. But he said, you have to bring it from a house where there's been no death. So she started in her search, and she went to the first house, asking for the mustard seeds, and they said, of course. Has anyone died here? Oh, yes. Now, imagine that. She's not just going to get a yes or no, right? She's going to get the stories. You know how it is when you've lost someone? If you're a mother or a wife who's lost a husband or whomever, no matter how many years has gone by, it's still fresh. You still talk about it. So she heard the stories, and then she went to the next house and the next house and the next house. And there are different accounts of how long this took, but some say to the end of the day. By the time the the afternoon was ending, she she got it. Death is everywhere, in every house. And of course, that's a very different culture than ours, right? You go from house to house here. and What happened? Um, we don't tend to die at home, and we don't tend to live for generations in the same house either, together um, with parents and grandparents and children. But... Then there was death at every house. And one man said to her, the dead are more numerous than the living.
So she took the body of her son to the charnel ground and laid him down. And they say she took his hand and she said, death is not only for you, it's for everyone. And she left him there. And she said, not a village teaching, nor a town teaching, nor is this a teaching for one family alone. For the whole of the world with its gods, there is this teaching of impermanence. And she went back to the Buddha, and he said, did you bring the mustard seeds? And she said, Done, venerable sir, is the business of the mustard seeds. Only grant me a refuge. And then he spoke this verse that we see in the Dhammapada. When a person's mind is deeply attached, obsessed with sons and cattle, death grabs him and carries him away as a flood does a sleeping village. And when she heard those words coming from the Buddha's lips, she entered the stream, the first level of awakening, already completely clear that this body is not a self. And she asked to be ordained. And he sent her to the bhikkhunis, and she was ordained. And she practiced diligently. And then the Buddha saw that her mind was ready. And he went to her. And he said, Though one should live a hundred years not seeing the deathless state, yet better it is to live for a single day seeing the deathless state. And when she heard that, her mind released, and she became one of the arahants, completely free from suffering. That verse is also in the Dhammapada. So she's in this uh, list of arahant bhikkhunis declared foremost in some quality, and she's foremost in wearing rough robes or coarse robes. And you might think, well, what kind of an achievement is that? <laughs> and I think the, the Pali word for rough here, it, it means like not refined. The Buddha wasn't really into hair shirts and that kind of stuff. It's not, it's not like it was probably particularly, um, it's not like a penance or anything like that, but the fact that she didn't need anything refined. She could wear the simplest. Um, They say these robes were rough in three ways, rough the fabric, probably like a homespun, you know, more coarse. Not the 300 or 600 threads, whatever. (laughs) Not those. Um, The 
fabric is rough and the thread is rough and the dye is rough. So probably a you know, very basic dye available anywhere, maybe from the clay or the bark of the jackfruit tree or whatever, right? But um, that's what she wore. So it's, it's, the, it's the sign of that renunciation, of letting go of the world, letting go of being rich or poor, letting go of, you know, wanting. So she wrote, it appears in the Terikata, her, first of all, she starts with this great gratitude toward the Buddha. Because he was such an amazing friend. Because he sees that suffering and he could help her overcome it. She said the sage commended having good friends for anyone anywhere in the universe. By keeping company with good friends, even a fool becomes wise. Keep company with good people. Wisdom increases for those who do. By keeping company with good people, one is freed from every suffering. One should know the Four Noble Truths, suffering and its origin, the cessation of suffering and the Noble Eightfold Path. Suffering and painful is a woman's state. So says the tamer of persons to be tamed. Being a co-wife is painful. Some, on giving birth once, slit their throats. The delicate ones take poison. In the midst of a breech birth, both mother and child come to destruction. And then here she brings in a story of another bhikkhuni, which I might have a chance to tell, too, before we close about to deliver while still on the way I found my husband dead right there on the road I gave birth before I reached home now Kisa go to me in her own voice again says that the two sons of this wretched woman too soon dead her husband dead too right there on the road even while her mother father and brother were burned on one funeral pyre this is a story of one of the other bhikkhunis And then Kisagotami says of herself, Wretched woman, your family is dead too. Suffering without end has been yours. Your tears have flowed for thousands of lives. And then she says, Then I saw in the midst of the charnel ground muscles of sons being chewed. With family killed, despised by all, husband dead, I've reached the deathless. I've developed this path, noble, eightfold, going to the deathless. I've looked into the mirror of the Dhamma, and thereby I realized Nibbana. I've extracted the arrow, put down the burden, done the task. I, Kisagotami Terry, my heart well released, have said this. It's pretty stark, pretty jarring, but sometimes that's what it takes to wake us up. Sometimes it's the hardest 
experiences of life that really bring things into focus. If we can be prepared for them, it helps so that we can make use of them and understand this is part of nature. This is part of the path. So the the nun that she referred to in her in her poetry is called Patachara. Patachara also was born and raised in Savati. She was born into a wealthy family. And when she was 16, her parents confined her to the top story of their seven-story house because they didn't want her to get involved with any boys. And um, it's kind of like being permanently grounded and um, she fell in love with one of the servants. <laughs> and they arranged marriage for her, but before she could be taken off to be married, she ran away with him. And they went to a rather distant place, a distant village. And she lived there with her husband. And then when she got pregnant, she wanted to go home to have the baby, and he didn't want to go back because he was afraid they would kill him. <laughs> and um, she took off on her own, and a bit late, she had her baby out on the road and then just came back home. But when she was pregnant for the second time, she um, wanted to go back again, and this time she took off, but her husband found her, and he went with her. He said, I'll, I'll go with you. But again, the delivery started before they got there. And it also happened that right at that time, a really horrible storm was starting. So they're out there along the way with no protection. And he went to gather some branches and things to make some kind of shelter. And as he was doing it, uh, a black snake, it's, they say the most poisonous cobra, uh, bit him, and he died right there. And she, through the nights, thinking, okay, now he'll come, now he'll come. And he didn't come. And the next morning, she had her newborn little boy and her maybe two-year-old son, and she, carrying one and holding on to the hand of the other, walked. And then she found her husband's body. And she felt so bad. She felt like it was her fault. But now she just needed to continue on to her parents' house. And she had to cross a river with the kids. And um, the river was very swollen because of the storm. But she... It was, it was a low area, so she could get across, but she couldn't take them both at one time. So she walked with, she told the, the older one, you just stay right here on the bank, and then I'll come back for you. And she went across with the baby, and she laid the baby down. And then she was coming back to get the elder one. And a hawk came down, and she was screaming and waving her arms to try to chase the hawk away. And the boy on the other side thought she wanted him to come, so he goes into the river and gets swept away. Then the hawk carries the baby away. 
can imagine. But then she kept on to her family. What else could she do? And as she approached Savati, she asked someone who was coming in her direction about her family, and he said, ask me about any family in Savati, but not that one. And of course, she wanted to know what happened, what's wrong. He said the house collapsed on her parents and brother. They all died. And he said, if you look at that smoke over there, that's their funeral pyre. They're being, their bodies are being burned. And she went mad. She's not of her mind. They say she tore off her clothes. She was wandering around naked. And she wandered into the Jeta's grove. And the Buddha saw her. And the, the disciples of the Buddha were trying to keep her out. The lay, the lay disciples keep the crazy woman out. He said, bring, bring her here. And he said, Sister, Regain your mindfulness. And she snapped out of it. And she realized her nakedness, and there was a man who gave her a robe. She put it on. And then she came up and talked to the Buddha. She bowed. She told him her story. He said, Do not be troubled anymore. You've come to one who's able to be your shelter and refuge. It's not only today that you've met with calamity and disaster, but throughout this beginningless round of existence, weeping over the loss of sons and others dear to you, you've shed more tears than the waters of the four oceans. And just as with Kisa Gotami, there, right there, she entered the stream. And her story um, is also in the Terigata, her, her poetry, about her enlightenment that came a bit later, her full enlightenment. And she was acknowledged as the foremost expert of the Vinaya, of the monastic code, and she taught a lot of other nuns. She became a great teacher. I mean, a teacher who could really understand their suffering. There's a passage in the Terigata. This is one of the versions of the Terigata uh, translated by Charles Hallisey. First, Patachara's instructions to some of her students, 30 nuns that she was training. She said, young men find wealth taking sticks and threshing grain, taking care of wives and children. Do what the Buddha taught. There's nothing to be sorry for after doing it. Quick, wash your feet. Sit down off to one side, intent on calming the mind. Do what the Buddha taught. Now this is, this is spoken by her students, or about her students. They heard her words, what Patachara taught. They washed their feet, sat down off to one side. Intent on calming the mind, they did what the Buddha taught. In the first watch of the night, they remembered their previous lives. In the middle watch, they cleansed the eye that sees the invisible. 
in the last watch of the night, they split open the mass of mental darkness. Standing up, they worshipped Petachara's feet, and they said, Your advice has been done. We will live honoring you, like the 30 deities honoring Indra, who is unconquered by others in battle. We know the three things that most don't know. Nothing fouls our hearts. So I hope that we can take the bitterness of the stories and understand the incredible gift that comes from meeting the Dhamma, from the Dhamma arising out of that bitterness. Because that makes the change that didn't happen in the other previous many, 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 many lifetimes. To complete freedom from suffering. So please ask me any questions you might have. Just for the just for the recording, I'll say that that was uh, an appreciation of how the story that was told about Patichara is very much like Deepama's story. And there are so many stories of bhikkhunis I know too who went through horrible experiences of loss, and it's what threw them onto the path. And it's not just bhikkhunis, of course. It's any of us. It helps us get serious. <laughs> and you get pushed so far that you're willing to let go of everything. You see that there's no way to hold on to it. Other questions? Oh, Yes, Christy. I'm curious, did you have a moment like that in your transition? I did. My father died suddenly when I was 40. I was doing computer science engineering and living a... Wow, you would kind of look at my life and say, yeah, that she's really got it all. And I was not prepared for that. At all, and I really, it really made me want to understand what happens when we die. And how can we live our life in a way that really matters? Because all that other stuff, whether it's making money, I mean, you know, the whole thing about material life, or even, even love, even friendship, even anything in this world. Um, It's all impermanent. Okay, so the question is, when do we know when to use our own practice and work on this kind of suffering ourselves, and when do we need to seek someone else's advice? Hmm. 
Obviously, there's no pat answer. It doesn't hurt to do both. Um, if there, it's always good to be seeking out people of wisdom and spending time with them. And when we're suffering, when we're really faced with a, a big change in our life, it's valuable to ask for support. And we still have to work on it ourselves. Um, the reason that Patachara and Kisa Gotami could take in what the Buddha said and have such immediate results is partly because of the intensity of their experience, but it's also partly because of their karma. And we all, all of our practice, all that we put in, all of the ways in which we try to make ourselves truly appreciate the reality of impermanence, suffering, and non-self, this is all help to get us to that place where there is a moment. It may be from another's voice. It may be from some internal arising of the Dhamma. The Buddha said the most powerful external force for any of us is another human voice. So it is another human voice. That's the most powerful external force. That's why he praised good friendship so much. Good, a good friend is someone who's wise, hopefully somewhat or fully enlightened. That would be good. You know, someone who will never steer you wrong. Someone who will always lead you upwards. Look after you when you're not able to look after yourself. Give you what's hard to give. So the question is, when we lose someone, sometimes we develop a connection with the spirit world. We may realize that the veil between is pretty thin. Um, is that a, an attachment, a clinging? It certainly can be. It's very important to let go. It's very important to realize that the people in our life are passing through. We don't know where they came from. We don't know where they're going. The Buddha said this to people who lost their children. Acknowledge and appreciate that there is a process going on there that has its own integrity. And the Buddha, when people came to him with great suffering, he was always giving them the bigger picture. You know, look at the lifetimes come to this appreciation that there is joy, there is happiness. It's not rooted in having anything except the Dhamma. Love, kindness, truth, integrity, virtue, generosity. So we let, we, we let go of the people who pass. And sometimes they can come back to help us in some ways. And that's great, that's fine, but always you know, step back and fill the context with this incredible, amazing unfolding of the processes of 
karmic streams that somehow meet and cross and part again. We all have to work out our own awakening. We can help each other, but we have to work out our own awakening ourselves. And so does everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.